Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. So those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. Are you all okay? Come on, come on out. Uh, those who are going to Little Worship, y'all can uh, be dismissed. If you are uh, staying with us, I invite you to open your Bibles or look there in your bulletins, Luke chapter 1. Uh, it's week number two in our Advent series. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. You know, for know, about 100 years, maybe a little more than 100 years, uh, liberal theologians have, have started, trying, uh, started saying that if, if Christianity is going to survive and flourish in this new scientific era, uh, then we've got to cull out the, the supernatural stuff in the, the Bible. You know, all the miracles, the kind of the impossibilities, because that kind of stuff is really an insult to any reasonable thinking person, you know, who knows that, like, okay, that is not how life works, right? That, that old barren women... And young virgins just don't have babies. That, that apart from like a zombie movie, uh, people don't die and then like walk out of the grave, right? And, and so liberal theologians argue that all of that is really, um, it, it just turns educated people off to Christianity. It's a stumbling block to, to Christianity. And though I guess maybe we could applaud their desire for outreach, um, there's a lot of there's a huge problem with that thinking. Um, first of all, that thinking doesn't really do justice to Luke's narrative because not only was Luke a very educated person, but he was a physician. And you know, often physicians can be the most skeptical skeptical of people because you know uh, doctors deal with ailments all the time, and, and doctors know just how rare miracles can be, right? Um, nor does this argument do justice to his work as a historian. Because remember, there were other uh, super fantastical works and writings about Jesus that said all sorts of things about Jesus, right? Um, and the early church knew that they were there, and the early church always deemed those to be really works of fan fiction. It was kind of fan fiction nonsense. And so there was a genre there if Luke wanted to do that. But... Um, Luke stated at the very beginning that there have been some things happening that, that don't happen every day. And, and look, we're, we're all acknowledging that, that some of the stuff that we're reading in the Bible, like even Luke's saying, like, like we're all aware that like, this is not how normal life works. This is miraculous. This is supernatural. But he's saying unique things have happened that are turning the world upside down, and I have followed them closely to record them, and I want to give you an orderly account that you may have certainty that this happened, that Jesus really did rise from the grave, that all these things that we're talking about happened. And, and then also, you know, it's Mary and, and Zechariah and Elizabeth that we're talking about today, you know, they weren't naive country bumpkins who didn't know how babies were made. You know, I mean, you know, at first... They, and especially Zechariah, if you remember, they found the whole idea to be just as unlikely and unreasonable as any skeptic might today. You remember last week, Mary's like, dude, this is impossible, what you're telling me, angel. And the angel said, no, no, with God it's not. But, and I think that's the point. 
is if we remove the parts that we don't really like, we remove the parts that defy logic, that don't make sense, that if we removed all the supernatural from the Bible, then not only have we removed God, uh, but we've actually just fashioned a God or a lesser God in our own image and in our own understanding. And so without the supernatural, we have no Christmas, which means we have no hope, which means we have no gospel. Um, Scholar Mike McKinley said, the great theological truth that Luke is bringing to the forefront is that God's salvation will come in a seemingly impossible way. He said that God is doing something new, reaching down into our hopeless condition and making the unthinkable come true. That's what Christmas is. Christmas tells us that our God is God of the impossible. And so this morning, we're going to read and unpack the meeting of two of these impossibilities uh, in Mary and Elizabeth. So let's, let's pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So let's, let's pray. Father, um, we need you. Uh, you know I need you. So may you draw near through your spirit, and may your nearness be good and sweet to us as we just sit with your word. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Luke chapter 1, 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of the greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is God's word. You know, 2,000 years ago, a meeting happened between Mary and Elizabeth. And today, the Lord is showing us three things. Uh, Three things today. Uh, First, this morning, we've got to see the the grace of fellowship. The grace of fellowship. Uh, Second, the wonder of belief. And then third, the power of the gospel. It's so powerful. So first, the the grace of fellowship. You know, when the wheels fall off in our lives, um, there's a part of us, at least I know there's a part of me, that's very tempted to kind of just circle the wagons and only the inside people get get access to me. We circle the wagons, we isolate from others, we don't trust others. You know, for Mary in the ancient Near Eastern context, not only had her wheels come off, but the angel Gabriel had just dropped like an atomic bomb on her. Because as a 12 to 14-year-old unmarried pregnant girl, Um, I mean, she must have been thinking, my life in this town is over. It's over. I'm going to have to move if I'm going to live. Probably so is my marriage. It's probably over. But then, one of the last things the angel said was that Elizabeth, her old relative, was also pregnant, and something radical happened. Instead of sitting in secret, Luke tells us that with haste, Mary left. She's she just gone. 
which tells us that something supernatural really did happen because during this time and in this culture, it was a huge no-no, like super social taboo for a woman to travel alone. Like women never traveled alone. Even in town, the little town of Nazareth, women would have, you know, they went to the, the butcher together. They went to the baker together. They traveled together. And so one scholar noted that during this time, until they got married, girls lived in seclusion in their home. They just stayed in one place. They were like... Uh, Bilbo, you know Bilbo Baggins, right? If you're a fan of the Hobbits, you know, Hobbits, uh, they never left the Shire, right? They were very homely people. This is, this is their comfort zone. They like being comfortable and in their home. And yet, if you know from the Hobbit, something happened to Bilbo, right? That sent him on this unexpected journey that he wasn't planning on. Well, something happened, something big time happened that sent Mary... Uh, on this journey. And Mary is like, see, look, I, I don't know much, but I know I've got to see Elizabeth. I, I've got to be with someone. And I think some of y'all have experienced things like this in your life, be it a cancer diagnosis or, a, you know, you're going through a hard time that like you've got to be with somebody else who has been through the same thing, who can kind of relate to you. And so Mary, Mary said, I don't know much, but I know that I've got to get to Elizabeth. I've got to get to someone who can relate and who can help me process through this, what the Lord is doing in my life. And, and, and like an Alabama fan to a Waffle House, Mary took off. I'm sorry for that, man. Um, Mary took off on this 80 to 100 mile journey. Look, I mean, listen, teen, teenage girl, young teenage girl, 80 to 100 mile journey to, to Judah and what do you think she was thinking about the whole way? What if, if, if an angel appeared to you and said this? What would you be thinking as you walked these 100 miles? <laughs> like, what in the world? Me? A virgin? Pregnant? <laughs> With the Son of God? I mean, good night. And so at this point, we know that she was submissive to the Lord, but she still didn't fully understand. You know, so far there hadn't been any celebration, hadn't been any you know, leaping for joy, only just, just processing, pondering. Uh, thinking about it, um, so, so you know, God sent an angel, God sent a miracle, and yet things didn't click for Mary. The coin didn't drop until she was in community. We see here that in, in the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, she was linked up with people of mutual belief, to some degree even mutual experiences, mutual hope, and it was in that covenant of faith, or that community of faith, that her faith was strengthened. And it was in community that God took care of Mary. <laughs> when her world was imploding around her, he gave her a godly friend and a close confidant in, in Elizabeth. And you know, God will take care of you too in community. I love what J.C. Ryle said to this. He said, we should always regard communion with other believers as an imminent means of grace. He said, it is a refreshing break in our journey along the narrow way to exchange experiences with our fellow travelers. He said, true Christian fellowship is the nearest approach that we can make on earth to the joy of heaven. I love that. Uh, and yet, I know that there are some that may say, well, I've never experienced that. <laughs> I don't really like being at church. I don't really like being with Christians. Well, that's because, I, and this is just been my experience, my opinion, is that in our fallen world, true Christian fellowship of like this Elizabeth and Mary kind, true Christian fellowship is unicorn rare. Because 
to have the joy of heavenly fellowship, that requires honesty, and it requires trust, and it requires vulnerability. And I think especially as I know for men in the South and definitely in the Delta, I know for men and maybe to a degree women, we've got many generations bred into us that you just don't be vulnerable. To be vulnerable is to be weak. You, and so we don't trust anybody. And so if, if our hope or our identity is in anything other than Christ, then we won't be brave enough to risk being vulnerable. And hence we won't be known. And hence we won't have fellowship. And we'll just put the mask on. We'll come to church. Continue wondering why in the world do Christians always want to be together? Because we miss it. I just want to encourage you, uh, what, what if as a church, what if we actually were vulnerable with each other? Like what if you could go to someone else and share your deepest, darkest hurt, deepest, darkest pain, and say, look, I need help, and you could trust them like not to go broadcast that to the Greenwood Commonwealth or Facebook. That's what Christian fellowship is. It's trust. It's honesty. It's celebration together. Martin Luther said, At home in my house, there is no fire. But in the church, with brothers and sisters, a fire is warmed in my heart, and the gospel breaks through. That's it. Well, how, how often, I just have to ask, has that been true to you? Um, that in Christian community, people help, help you, help, help us fight sin. That they help discern what God is doing in our lives. And they give us, a, they remind us oh, that we have a reason to sing, a reason to celebrate. And you know, like Mary, often it's in community that our feeble faith is strengthened. Whereas Satan is, man, Satan is such a bully. He's the accuser, uh, heaping on doubts. She got to Elizabeth and Elizabeth said, yes, what the angel said is true, Mary. And we'll see her response to that next week. But it's in community and in worship that we're reminded that God keeps his promises, that he really is good. And, and, and notice also that, that Mary's source of community, it wasn't a group of ladies her own age. You know, a lot of people say, well, the church, they just don't really have anybody my age. Like, it doesn't have to be. Because when the gospel clicks, like something weird and magical, mysterious even happens. It's like age group barriers are broken down. Um, notice it was an older woman in the faith. Someone who could humbly and lovingly impart godly wisdom to her. And, and so just a, a friendly a nudge uh, to our older members um, here. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you feel like you're the last of your kind. Uh, maybe you feel like kind of the church culture has kind of put you out to pasture, kind of like the work, workplace does at some point. You retire and just kind of just look, just go and just don't bother anybody and we'll, we'll get along. Uh, please hear me that that may be how the corporate world works, but that is not how gospel community works. It just doesn't work like that. And so all these younger members that we have or have been having uh, lately, like we need you, they need you, to help them follow Jesus. And, and like I, I've literally, that, that has literally been expressed to me. And it's been expressed to my wife that like we want that. We need that. We need that. Um, to learn what following Jesus looks like while balancing you know, career and, and family. Or what does following Christ look like during difficult seasons of marriage? 
You know, some of, the, you know, some of your, your scars in your life, like that's the exact way that you can serve the church. Um, you know, how do we follow Christ in, you know, difficult seasons of parenting? Or, or just, you know, godly advice in these major life decisions that we come to. And look, if you didn't get it right, I mean, maybe you can risk it for gospel community and be vulnerable and share, <laughs> share what not to do, you know. You could help that way as well. So when Mary was reeling, she trusted God's promises. She sought fellowship. And Westminster, in a world that is hell-bent on robbing our joy of salvation, that's, exact, I mean, that's what we have right there. We have God's promises in His Word. We have the Holy Spirit. And God has given us the grace of fellowship, the church family. That's what we have. Okay? But that's not all. Second, uh, notice... The, the wonder of belief we see here. You know, notice what happened when Mary got to Elizabeth's house, uh, verse 40, 41 through 43. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, young women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. You know, like call it, you know, women's intuition. Uh, I, you know, I'm told that women know things. Um, that you ladies, you know, you, you can like, you can look at someone and with like, with no background information whatsoever, can just kind of know stuff. You know, I, I know my wife sure thinks she knows stuff, right? Um, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like ladies, y'all can look at someone and, and rightly say, like, I think she's pregnant. I just, I know she is. Okay, well, this and, and that, that may be a thing that y'all have, superpower, but like this goes way beyond that because Mary, I mean, Elizabeth looks at Mary and, and without Mary mentioning anything about an angel, about being pregnant, Elizabeth seems to know and believe everything, which begs the question, I mean, like how? Um, how did she believe? Well, how do any of us believe? Because often, you know, it's easier to be like Zechariah and to say, that's impossible. That ain't happening. But, but here and throughout the Bible, we see that belief, <laughs> that faith is a gift of God working in you. And so if you believe that Jesus lived for you, that Jesus died and rose for your salvation... If you believe that he is your Lord, then you have experienced a supernatural work of God in your life. I mean, Elizabeth had God's promises. I mean, her husband was a preacher, for crying out loud. She had God's word. But notice, it didn't click. It didn't click until the Holy Spirit showed up. Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what happened. Well, remember earlier in Luke, the angel came and he told Papa Zechariah, he let him know that his wife Elizabeth was about to get pregnant with John the Baptist. Zechariah didn't exactly believe him, but he, part of that, the angel's message was, and John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Well, when Mary showed up, uh, really only probably a few, maybe a week pregnant, I don't know, a few days pregnant with Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, John in utero knew it and, and, and leaped. 
I mean, it's crazy, right? Like, you know, we know that John was a prophet, but it, it's, it's interesting that his first prophecy was from the womb. And his mother, Elizabeth, got the message. And, and real quick, and, and I know this isn't the point of the passage, uh, but in our cultural moment, you know, we, we got, I think we got to just, we can't skip the obvious. The fact that the Holy Spirit was working through John the Baptist in utero, I, I, I think that speaks to personhood, don't you? Um, and, and the fact that John leapt in response to the, what, like a couple days old Jesus, <laughs> that speaks to the sanctity of life, that, that from conception to the grave, you know, all lives truly do matter. All life is beautiful from conception to the grave. That God can work in and through even the unborn. Uh, well, as, as mentioned, you know, before the Holy Spirit came to give faith, there was no joy. And, but as, as Paul reminds us that if the Spirit is in you, then, then one of the fruit that the Spirit grows in believers is joy. And, and that, that Greek word here used to describe John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb was, is a word that she used to describe. If y'all have seen, um, maybe when it snows and you let your dog out, and it's like, that dog is just having a time of his life. It's, it's a, a word that she used to describe sheep or deer, just kind of friskily, just kind of leaping about, abounding in joy. And so if you've ever wondered, okay, like what could possess King David to, to, to rip off his kingly robes and to dance before the Lord? What's he doing? If you've ever wondered what could cause someone just to stop and just to, to burst in song, saying, God, you're good. Uh, to say, Lord, your steadfast love is better than life itself. Like if you've ever wondered what could cause joy, even in the midst of hardship, it's this. It's the wonderful work of the Spirit opening your eyes opening our eyes to see things that we don't see by ourselves, um, to see the, our sin and to feel our need, but to also see the stunning beauty of Jesus as our Savior. And there's something there when the Spirit comes, it just like miracle grow, turbocharges that. And as the Spirit did that in Elizabeth, the Spirit caused all of God's promises just to pop. And she saw clearly and she boldly professed that that baby in Mary's womb was Lord. Which that's a nod to, to Psalm 110. That's the Lord, meaning you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And that was her conversion. <laughs> Elizabeth said, look, God's, God's in my house. And he's where the joy's at. And Mary got it too. And like I said, we'll see her response to that next week in what, what we call the Magnificat. So the, it's the wonder of belief. The wonder of belief. You know, before we move on to our last point, there's this claim out there that probably some of y'all have heard that, that Christianity is really kind of a super sexist religion. Uh, that the Bible seems to be very male chauvinistic. Um, that it seems to really highlight men while kind of putting women down. Um, well, to that... Um, I think, I just don't see that to be true. Because if you stop and think about it, notice in the New Testament who got it and who didn't. Like, like what's the true win? Is it you being powerful and in control? No, the true win is like the Spirit working in you and like you believe. So notice who got it and who didn't. 
And you realize that like, it wasn't Zechariah who believed first. It was, it was Elizabeth. It wasn't Joseph who first believed, but Mary. You know, everyone makes a big to-do about Peter making, being the first to confess that Jesus is the Christ. And yet here we see, or the Messiah, but here we see that it wasn't Peter who confessed it first. No, it was Elizabeth. I mean, this right here was literally the earliest Christian confession. And then to the disciples, you know, it wasn't Peter or John. We sure know it wasn't Thomas who believed in the resurrection first. But Mary Magdalene. And it was to Mary Magdalene that Jesus chose to appear first. And Jesus entrusted her to spread the news first. And then even after the ascension, you know, when Paul's missionary journeys in the early church is, is getting off the ground... Did you know that there's only one church in the entire Bible that, that, there, that is never rebuked? There's only one church in the entire Bible that we could see is like, okay, they are a healthy, healthy church. It was the church at Philippi, which also just so happened to be the church that was planted and founded out of the house of a wealthy woman saved by grace named Lydia. And we, we see this throughout the Bible uh, that, you know, the New Testament seems to have a very high view of women. Often they are the first to experience the wonder, the wonder of belief. Which then brings us to our third point and how we'll close, the power of the gospel. James Edward Scholar writes that this visitation is an embryo of the church. That this, right here, this passage, that, that God's saving plan brings desperate and divided peoples together in fellowship, joy, and mission. This is it. You know, into a world not unlike ours, a, a world that's really focused on who has the power and who doesn't have the power, and uh, who, who is in and who's out, and kind of where we stand in the social rankings. You know, we've got to see that like, Jesus came in like a wrecking ball to all of that. Just breaking through all the, the barriers of, of systems and barriers and distinctions. And, and we see that Jesus, the Lord of all, the one with truly all the power, he came and said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Jesus called us, his followers, to go low and to take up our crosses and to follow him. And we know, we, we, we discovered this last week, that Mary, I mean, Mary was dirt poor. I mean, living out in the boondocks. But Elizabeth was the wife of a priest. I mean, she was, and they were in the priestly class. And they lived near Jerusalem, near, near the big city. They were somebody. You know, Elizabeth and Mary, like, they probably wouldn't run in the same circles. You know, Mary was inferior. And of the two, Elizabeth was the one who was, in, in that time, deserved the honor and the deference. She was older. She was probably wealthier. She was in better, just in a better, higher class. But when Elizabeth heard Mary and that baby leapt inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, everything changed. You know, this is why the early church is so different than anything else. Though she was a daughter of Aaron, she took on the, the role of servant. Elizabeth went low and she showed honor and deference to her guest, Mary. And by the Spirit, two very different people fellowshiped. Very different people from different situations, different places in life, socioeconomic classes. They fellowshiped together. Y'all, the gospel 
It breaks through our man-made barriers. It says that we all, like it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter like, like race, how much money. It doesn't matter. Like, like we all stand in need of forgiveness. And there's only one, like one way that we can have it. One who can give it. And so, you know, as, as a church, it's easy, is it not, to get ingrown? Uh, because it's comfortable. We, we like people who are kind of like us. It's easy to get ingrown. It's easy to get homogenized and miss the fact that the power of the gospel creates unlikely and yet beautiful communities. You know, the power of the gospel, it saves children, but it also saves parents and grandparents. It saves and brings together fundamentalist, King James-only, Bible Baptist. But it also saves Catholics. And, and, and maybe hardest of all, cold-hearted Presbyterians. You know? like it, it saves and brings together Trump supporters and CNBC watchers. You know, uh, vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. Um, you'll still probably argue, right? But you'll be together worshiping, right? Um, it saves and brings together pickup truck drivers and Tesla owners. Uh, through the Spirit, it's people on Grand Boulevard and people on Grenada Boulevard hear the gospel and believe. And they find that they have something, something in common, an uncommon fellowship. It's powerful. It's powerful. You know, Elizabeth ended this uh, greeting by bestowing a blessing. It's a beatitude. She said, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is she who believed. If you believe, you're blessed. You know, that word blessed or blessed, uh, at least back in the ancient world, was originally a, a sociological term denoting a member of an upper class. You know, the, the blessed were the in crowd. Like whoever the, you know, the people in the back of the magazines that you see that got invited to the parties, like that's the blessed. Those are the people who are in the in crowd. Well, this week, uh, I was telling uh, the Edwards this this weekend, this week I um, was asked to do a funeral, kind of last minute, uh, of Martha Barnwell. Um, and she you know, has deep roots here, was in Nashville, but she wanted to be buried in, uh, in Greenwood. And so Ray Maddox, the, the funeral home director, uh, called me, and he told me that anytime he finds out that the deceased was a Presbyterian, he calls me first. And then he told me, this is one of the most remarkable things I think I've heard, one of the most, I've heard since I've lived in Greenwood. He said, I ask you first because you're one of us. You're a local. And y'all, I'm saying, like, I almost cried because uh, I am not from the Delta. I almost cried because I've lived here almost 12 years, and that is the first time I have been called a local, okay? Um, what a joy, what a privilege it is to belong somewhere. Like you belong to a place, to belong. Well, in the same way, but way better, the Bible says that if you believe in Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, if you are in him, then you belong not to just some club, not to just like the high socialites of the Delta, that you belong not even just to this church, but you belong in the family of God. You are blessed. You are blessed. And that is something to leap about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the joy of the gospel 
just the, the grace of fellowship, the wonder of belief, the gift of belief, and then the power of the gospel to come into dead hearts, uh, to come into people like me and people like maybe many in here that like, we've done stuff that should bury us in the pit of hell, and yet you don't hold our sins against us in Christ. Um, Lord, um, though our sins, they are many, your mercy is more. So thank you for the power of the gospel. Transform us as a community. Uh, Lord, make us a church that not only gets it, but loves it. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.